Welcome to Message Extra, where we are hoping to give you a little bit of a deeper dive into the text that we are using to preach and teach from here at Sark Fellowship. This last week, we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We picked up in verse 17, and we went all the way through to verse 13 of chapter 3. Maybe the first thing to say this week, then, is... Hang on a minute, why have you gone between chapters? Are they not rounded off nicely by thought or by topic or by theme? Well, we would completely confirm and affirm that we believe uh, that all scripture is breathed out by God and incredibly useful to the life of the believer whilst teaching about Jesus and revealing the nature, the character of God. Yes, but chapters and verses are not inspired. They were added in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after and they're not inspired sometimes they begin in the middle of a sentence uh, very frequently back in the old testament you get verses that say things like the lord said to moses and that's a complete bible verse anyway so all that to say the fact that we picked up in the middle of chapter two and dropped off in the middle of chapter three this week is not a particularly big it's not a deal at all it's not even a big deal it's not a deal so there were probably three things this week that i read came across while studying to preach on friday that i thought were uh were worth sharing this week in message extra so chapter 3 verse 1 of uh first thessalonians says when we could bear it no longer we decided to stay on in athens alone and there are passages like this, verses like this, uh, where you can cross-reference other parts of the Bible and really see that although different people wrote different parts of the Bible at different times, from different places, with different uh, purposes and plans for their writing, the internal consistency of the Bible is spectacular. So chapter 3, verse 1, again then, when we could bear it no longer, Paul writes, we decided to stay on in Athens alone. If we rewind a little bit, the middle of chapter 2 tells us that Paul was desperate to see these believers in Thessalonica. He writes with a bit of a Greek idiom, he says, although we were away from you face to face, we were not away from you heart to heart. We still love you, we value you, we think about you, we pray for you all the time, even though we cannot see you face to face. He goes on to say, look, I tried, I tried to come and see you time and time again. Again, he uses a bit of an idiom when he writes, I tried to come once and twice. It means he's tried a few times to come. But I was, uh, what did he say? I was thwarted by Satan. Um, very simply, this, there, are, there are spiritual reasons, there is a bit of spiritual warfare going on. I've tried, but it's just not worked out for me. And then he says, look, when we could bear being apart, when we couldn't bear to know how you're doing any longer, we decided to stay on in Athens alone. And in verse 2, he says, we sent Timothy to you to strengthen you and to find out about what's going on. So Paul had traveled from Berea to Athens without the companionship of Timothy and Silas. When he got to Athens, he sent word back to Berea by the, the, the brothers, the Christians that accompanied him 
for Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens as soon as they could. We read in Acts chapter 17, verse 15, those who accompanied Paul escorted him as far as Athens, and after receiving an order for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. And then it seems that Timothy and Silas did so. They also, Timothy and Silas, or Silvanus as he's also known, are named at the start of 1 Thessalonians, and they obviously care for the Thessalonians just like Paul did. So he dispatched them to find out how they're doing, to encourage them, to strengthen them. Interesting that Paul says, we sent Timothy, our brother, but yet in Acts, he says, send them both. Get Timothy and Silas to come back. Maybe Silas was more of a, a practical helper. Maybe Timothy was the guy with the main message. We don't know for sure. Silas and Timothy then both returned to rejoin Paul in Corinth, which is where Paul went after Athens. We read in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after this, is time there. Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And we read in verse 5 of that chapter, Acts 18, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So it's not a spectacular bit of revelation there, but the cross-referencing and the fact that these people said this in this letter and then a different person recorded that they went here and said that and did this, the internal consistency of it adds a lot to the, the collective case that these documents, these accounts, are very, very accurate and very, very true. The next thing that was uh, particularly interesting and, and gives a bit more of uh, a, a deeper dive this week is also in chapter 3. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, we read, In fact, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance that we would suffer affliction, and so it has happened, as you well know. Paul obviously then wanted the Thessalonians to know that suffering was kind of normal uh, for, the, for the Christian life. There are a couple of different Greek words that, can be, uh, that we would translate as suffering. Neither of them are exclusively used of um, uh, religious persecution. Uh, they can describe a situation as like physical pain, emotional hardships, which is absolutely what Paul was going through here. The suffering that we feel when we're under temptation. And it's the second word that we would also use for, uh, in English for, for suffering. Again, it talks about physical sufferings, but this time not related to persecution. It can also talk about suffering when you've been tempted and just hardships in a general sense. So Paul's writing to them and he says, look, it's, it's, it, it's kind of normal. Now you're a Christian. Things are going to crop up in your life and they're going to hurt you physically. They're going to hurt you emotionally and you're going to be tempted to do X, Y, and Z when you know you should instead be doing A, B, C and that's going to that's hurt. You're going to wrestle through stuff like that. But he wanted them to know that this is kind of normal for living the Christian life. Living so separate from the culture of the day. Living so much in a way that 
that tells the community around you, I'm now living for Jesus, not for the shifting sands of, of whatever's cool at the moment. That's going to that's gonna hurt. You're going to suffer through some stuff. Some people believe that Christians shouldn't suffer at all. Um, God doesn't use circumstances and situations to teach us, to reveal himself. It's, it's only uh, by his word. And there is a great deal of suffering that we could avoid if we were to take God's word as God's word, as we said last week, and submit and commit to obeying it. But if we just pause and think, you know, look, suffering was was all right to teach Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says it was fitting for him, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So if suffering's good enough to teach Jesus, we really ought to accept that it, in certain situations it's going to be good enough to teach us too. Some people think that the only kind of affliction that a Christian should experience is, is religious persecution. But again, as we've said, when we read of persecution, and when we read of suffering, sorry, and affliction and trials and tribulations in Scripture, it's not always talking about religious persecution. It's one of those instances, one of those examples where if you look at the words, the literal words that the biblical authors used, look them up in a, in a dictionary, find out what they meant in that culture at that time, in this language, we can't impose, oh, well, this must be religious persecution as a Christian. These people are not Christians, therefore, it's re-. no, it's not always religious persecution, and Paul never intended that with what he was saying. Some people think that Suffering, affliction, trials, tribulations means that God is angry with you. Um, and I read this week that the truth is that affliction means that God loves us enough to give us the best, to do what is best for us when we might only want to do what is easy and to, uh, to, uh, to have an easy life. And if we just pause and think the symbol of Christianity, maybe you wear one on a chain on a string around your neck. Maybe you've got it hanging from the rearview mirror in your car. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. It's an instrument of suffering, of torture, of death, of shame. It's not a feather bed. So I read this week. Affliction, trials, tribulations, suffering, all the things that we've just talked about are kind of par for the course of following Jesus. It's going to be physical, emotional, and Paul knew this, and Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know, look, this is, Christians are appointed to affliction, so to speak. And the last thing is, uh, this week, depending on which translation of the Bible that you use, the last chunk that we talked about this week, chapter 3, verses 11, 12, and 13, some people interpret as a prayer, and some interpret it as a very prayerful um, wish and list of desires that Paul is saying. And some of your Bibles are probably going to have the word Amen 
at the end of verse uh, 13. So Paul, in, in some Bibles, Paul writes, you know, your hearts are strengthened in holiness, be blameless before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. And there are some reputable uh, manuscripts that do have Amen at the end. Uh, while the majority of manuscripts, and when I'm talking about manuscripts, I'm talking about very, very old handwritten copies of Scripture. The majority of manuscripts uh, don't have the word Amen. When people are translating the Bible, decisions like this are quite difficult. Now, Paul often did put the word Amen, this note of praise and agreement, into the middle of his letters. You, you can see Romans uh, chapter 9, 11, uh, right at the start of Galatians. And because he did elsewhere, there would be no reason for copyists and scribes to take it out here but not have taken it uh, elsewhere. So all of that to say, if your Bible's got Amen, or if it doesn't have Amen here, that comes down to the translation philosophy of whatever uh, translation you're using. Uh, it comes down to which body of manuscripts um, your Bible translator is, is using. So for me, I would agree with what I read this week that probably the most accurate reading uh, doesn't have Amen at the end next week then we're going to be in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 we're going to look at the first 12 verses and talk about Christian living everything else that we ever say or do or record or teach is available to you at sarfellowship.com until we see you next God bless you